All right, we are live. Welcome to another episode of Roasting Marshmallows. My name is Rolf Suet, and I'm your host. There's a crisis in uh, most workplaces. The pace of change driven by technology is accelerating. Change is happening more frequently, and the impact of these changes is often very big. And the workforce also brings with them their uh, distinct values, biases, and opinions. And nowhere are these distinctions more striking than in the way they view leadership and management. Uh, old school management, science, and traditional leadership training does not provide any tools to address these challenges. Invitations from executive leaders to members of the workforce causes a small, temporary, but very important change in how leadership communicates. Self-management is what actually scales and the invitation encourages it. Open Space Agility can help you with this. And to help us with Open Space Agility, we have Daniel Mezik as our guest around the campfire. Uh, Daniel Mezik is the originator of Open Space Agility, an engagement model for enabling authentic and lasting organizational improvement. He is also an advisory board member and co-founder of the Open Leadership Network, a certification body, and, oh, sorry, <clears throat> a certification body and community of practice dedicated to implementing open patterns and practices inside businesses, enterprises worldwide. Welcome, Daniel. Glad to be here. Thanks for, Can you hear me, Daniel? Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yep. Hey. All right. And next to Daniel, we also, of course, have two other uh, four scouts members here to uh, have the uh, podcast up to four members as usual. So, uh, Panche, welcome. You are from uh, calling in from Macedonia, right? Yes, I'm uh, calling in from Macedonia. I was uh, almost stuck in traffic, traffic coming back to the office space. Just made it just in time. It's a lovely weather here. Still summer. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, trying right. to make us most of a sort of travel, vacation, and work. So happy to be here. Yeah, so it's a workation almost. Exactly. Yeah, nice. And uh, and back from vacation actually is is Anik, but he's actually calling in from a hotel. Yes, I just came back from Brazil, but I'm right now. Oh, Holland is hot like Brazil, so that's all good. But I'm in a hotel today, so changing the environment. But I'm looking forward yeah, to this conversation as I already joined Daniel and I'm actually uh, certified also or one of them because there is a few. So looking forward for this conversation. All right. Nice. Yeah. So and, and Daniel, to, uh, to make things complete, you're calling in from uh, from the U.S., right? I am. I'm calling in from my undisclosed location in North Guilford, Connecticut, USA. <laughs> which is about halfway right. between New York and Boston. And um, in the shadow of New Haven, the home of Yale University. All right. Yeah. Cool. And uh, yeah, so we're talking today uh, today about uh, about open space agility. And uh, you've written, uh, well, quite some books, actually. But one of the books that, that, that talks about open space agility is the Open Space Agility Handbook. And uh, That's right. it's, it's about adopting agility in, in the workplace. Um, so, so why is adopting agility so hard and why do you need to have a handbook for it to, uh, to be able to adopt it? Yeah. Well, why is, why is uh, the move to agility so hard? Uh, I have a theory about that. And I think it has to do with um, the fact that if you're going to have a genuine transformation, where you're aligning activities, policies, mm -hmm. procedures to increase the flow of value, uh, which is what I would say is a um, good definition of transformation is an increase in the flow of value out of those value streams um, in setting it up. Uh, when you set it up, you're changing the way decisions are made and who makes them. And this is why it's so hard. So I want to repeat that. If you're going to have a legitimate transformation you're going to be making changes in the way decisions are made and who makes them. And that's why mm -hmm. transformation is tough because there's a lot of people invested in the way we make decisions today. Um, and they're triggered when yeah. they don't make decisions tomorrow. So that's the reason why it's so hard. And why do you need a handbook? They feel threatened. Of course. Yeah, if I'm a manager and I go look up yeah. Agile and I learn about self-management, where managers mm -hmm. are not really a role, oh, that's going to trigger me. Same with architects. Yep. Same with uh, the PMO. Uh, they're a kind of manager, a project, project manager, right? So all these people are triggered by yep. um, changes in decision rights. And this is actually what a real transformation is. And now we know why there aren't so many real transformations. 
So your second question, why do we need a handbook? It's because these concepts are entirely new to people. And they think that yeah. um, they executives think they can authorize the budget and authorize coaches and, and get a wonderful change. And they can just check that off without doing anything further except authorizing the budget uh, in the activity. And that's just not true. The executives actually have to be engaged in many aspects of the ongoing transformation and the signaling to to the the broader workforce, uh, because basically that's the role of leaders. Leaders are busy sending signals all day, whether they realize it or not. The leadership is actually signaling. This is something that the um, it's one big dimension of, of leadership, and it's something that most people do not talk about at all. And meanwhile, it's one of the most important aspects of what uh, leading change is all about. Yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, I think uh, you touched on part that I found it quite uh, interesting is that a few customers that I attend to, they talk about like you have a meeting with the team and the managers, and then the manager say something like, wow, you have to figure it out. You're a self-organizing team. And then when the manager leaves, the whole team doesn't really know what to do. And like, ah, we need to figure it out, but we can't because every time we try, the manager say something else. So in a way, when they are all together, the manager say like, yeah, you are self-organized, you should do it. And But when the team is alone trying to figure it out, they get blocked by those management or executive. Is that by what you mean they are signaling and this is like the wrong signaling? Or is there, does that mean they send you? All right, so let me give you an example of correct correct signaling for, for executives, okay? So ex executives can signal in verbal and nonverbal ways. Let's say we're bringing Scrum into an organization. Um, I coach the executives to um, ask for authorization to attend the daily Scrum. Don't just go in there. Ask the team if you can come mm -hmm. in and observe their daily Scrum. And I give them the 10 reasons why. Okay, so if the executive shows up on time um, and um, pays attention the whole time they're there and keeps their cell phone in their pocket and uh, is quiet and doesn't talk and observes and listens for those 15 minutes. And then when the end is over, you know, the end of the daily scrum is over, if they hang around for a few minutes and chit chat, compliment the team on how, you know, they heard that the team's doing good work. Um, when that executive leaves, the team's going to tell a story about how, let's call the executive uh, uh, Henrique. They're going to tell a story about Henrique, how he asked permission to come to our daily scrum and how he showed up on time. He was quiet and didn't talk. The cell phone stayed in his pocket. He stayed the whole time, and he had some nice things to say to the team on his way out the door. That's going to get around. So that's an example of the yeah. kind of signaling that can be generated through leader, uh, executive leadership behavior. Okay. Leaders also can tell stories um, in the past, present, and future and do other things that are signals. Uh, but... Most of what we're having happen in failed agile adoptions is a lack of good, positive, clear, consistent, deliberate, supporting executive leadership signaling. People are confused because they hear one, one thing and then, you know, the, something else is happening. You just told that story about the manager telling the people to self-organize, which is ridiculous on its face. Here's a manager... Mm -hmm telling the people to manage. I mean, they're just not going to manage um, because they're under the authority of that manager. So why would they? So I, I want to go kind of touch, touch uh, upon this idea which you described. If you want to change a transform our organization or change a culture, uh, a change must take place into the decision-making uh, paradigm. And then, that is um, correct. Uh, also, you talk about that, okay, if, and that makes a lot of sense, right? And then, um, and then also you're talking about if external management, so I was quite curious to see what external, what do you perceive by external management? If external management is too involved in the decision-making process, in the day-to-day -day activities, and sort of that 
as a consequence of that, the team stops making decisions by themselves. So it reduces the engagement of the of the team. Do you think that managers do this on, on purpose or how do you make managers aware of this? Can you, how can you set boundaries as a team or? Yeah. Well, let's discuss this for a minute. Um, you guys invited me into this space. And this is a space of your creation where you have dominion and authority here. You set the rules. You say when, you say who, you say, you know, everything about this. You, this is your space. You've invited me to come and talk with you in your space. And you've made it clear that this is not an interview. This is a conversation sort of around the campfire. And we might even have little debates and stuff like that. Um, so if I want to monologue or teach something, that's not going to happen here. You've made that very, very, very clear that that's not what's happening. What is happening is we're having a conversation um, as co-equals and as peers, yet you have authorized me to be the fourth person in this space. You've invited me and authorized my voice. And I, in turn, have authorized you to publish this. Do you see what's going on there? We're exchanging authorization with each other, and we mm -hmm. have a set of working agreements that are explicit. Correct. Okay. So this this idea that we're that we're subject to authority dynamics is a really really important thing for your audience to understand. So when we go in an organization and we bring in agility, there's going to be changes to authorized decision rights. That is not going to happen overnight. That is a process where the managers, yep. the project managers, the architects, and everyone else who's triggered by this change needs to get comfortable with the changes to authorized decision rights. If you don't leave, give enough time for that, you're going to have resistance that will kill everything you're trying to do. Because managers have direct okay. reports, right? And don't executives have a lot of direct reports so we... too? Yeah. So if they block... If they signal yep. verbally and non-verbally that they're not too happy with this Agile thing, let's say I report to Rolf. Let's say we all report to Rolf. If Rolf signals that he's not a super enthusiastic supporter of this stuff, and he's got yeah. us by the performance review, Rolf does our performance review, then we're <laughs> going to go along with Rolf's stance on this thing because that's the way the game is played. Correct. So, yeah. These are the dynamics right. that we're all subject to every day of the week. So, Authority and authorization so we, we, is a very think deep all... topic, and it's at the bottom of decision rights and agile transformation. So I think Rolf mentioned uh, also in the beginning that there is um, some sort of obviously oh, resistance is, uh, to, to this change, to this connection transformation. There. Uh, so and it could be. It's interesting though um, what you mentioned because, like, uh, <clears throat> I, I just started at an online retailer, for example, to uh, to work, and um, mm -hmm. the they had some issues there with, uh, yeah, with some incidents in production where uh, you know the surface was down, um, and then management stepped in and said, like, hey, you guys cannot release until we give the uh, give the green light. Um, is is that is that also uh, one way? It's it's maybe not part of an agile transformation, but it is definitely where management is signaling some stuff where they take away uh, the team's ability to release stuff into production, for example. Is that also an, an example of like incorrect signaling? Or no, has not necessarily. Space agility? Uh, no, it's like decisions, um, decisions are made at different levels of scope, right? So there's layers. So at the top layer, you know, the board, you know, sets the broad direction, hires executives. And then the executive level, they set broad uh, direction and goals. Um, and then down at the portfolio okay. level, we get a little bit deeper into the details, but we're still at a high level of abstraction. Everyone from the portfolio level on down is subject to that system. And there's no, there's no argument, there's no debating or negotiating about that. Okay. When we get down to the, um, you know, uh, program level, we can start to um, distribute the decision rights so people stay engaged. Because if people are not making enough decisions, they will disengage <coughs> because decisions are engaging. Okay. Yeah. So in your example where management says, oh, you can't release yet, um, 
that needs the fact that management that the management role or the, the people who said that have the right to say that have that decision right that needs to be um, clearly specified and agreed upon up front so teams understand right. that this is true now they know the size of their container to make their own decisions and they can make their own decisions at the team or at the product or at the project level um, with full confidence that they too are authorized at this lower level of scope to make those decisions, right? So usually what happens is yeah. we okay. go into this agile transformation game without any explicit agreements. That is actually a crime. Okay, so what we teach uh, at the Open Leadership Network is these, these open patterns, right? So open yep. patterns basically mm -hmm. support um, great, great work. So if I show you the screen, explicit agreement is one of the patterns, okay? If you don't have explicit agreement and you don't have clarity of authorization, what you have um, is, is misunderstandings. Explicit agreements about clarity of yeah. authorization, yeah. all of that stuff has to be upfront so people have feel confident, they're comfortable, they feel good about the situation, they have a sense of control. Um, that's what's needed. What we usually do is we we, um, we we get in flight with the transformation and then we start asking questions about who decides what. That's exactly backwards. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so is that also one of the first things that uh, an, um, that an open space agility driven transformation is, is, is going to be doing like okay let's let's get our uh, agreement structure in place and let, let's all agree to the same thing is like one of the first steps to, to undertake well in the agile world we have so-called working agreements by in between team members and in, in between teams as well right why, why don't we why don't we promote that to yeah. a first class enterprise level concept? where we actually socialize yep. the new rules of the game. We make it clear that executives are going to support those rules, and then we go forward. So in open space agility, um, it's an engagement model that engages people. Um, it brings you know, it brings the uncertainty in in small doses that are, that are 90 days, 45 to 90 days long, where mm -hmm. experiments occur. Um, after a whole group open space event, the whole group in, embarks upon a... Uh, a program of experimentation and learning um, in delivery. And then we have another open space 90 days later that functions as a kind of retrospective on that and also looks forward. So we punctuate 90-day waves of change with a whole group event. Okay, so this is also very important because in these patterns as well, uh, there's, there's a pattern called whole group process. Whole group process includes the use of open space Open space agility uses open space as its foundation. And mm -hmm. what we need to be doing across the industry, I think, is using the best tools possible to engage the maximum number of people. I have found open space to be one of the best, if not the best tools. So my, yep. my suggestion and guidance um, proposal to your audience is, Use open space or better. If you can find something better than open space for, for, for um, doing the things I'm describing, by all means, use those things and then call me up and tell me what you're doing so I can do it too. Yeah. <laughs> so, so in like open space agility... Like, so here in you, basically... Yeah, I think we're having a small lag, but like here in you, the, you cannot have an open space agility if you don't have the... How do you say the approval of your leadership team, right? Like you need somebody who well, has the highest authority to say, hey, let's do this. Or can you do partially in the organization? Like if you are just a small team in the end of the chain, can you apply this concept or is also not really a thing? I suggest that if you're going to use open space agility, that you start um, at the team of teams level, like work with five, six, seven teams that are on a related product, maybe related backlogs, and use use this structure of before and after open space. So, you know, this is an open space event. 
This is 90 days of experience, and this is another mm -hmm. open space event, okay? And everything else is just details. This is the leadership preparation, right? This is what you do after the meeting. But it starts with a whole group event of, of you know, a, the better part of one day, and 45 to 90 days of experimentation and, and delivery and learning, and then another open space event. If you do it that way, um, you do not need the super high authorized CEO or CIO to be the, the person who put out the invitation. It could be the chief product owner or the product owners that own the backlogs for those teams. And you could do it without having to go to executives or anything like that. And five, let's say it's five teams. That's going to be about 10 people with their stakeholders and everyone else, probably 10 people per team. So five or six teams, that's 50 or 60 people in an open space where they get in sync, they discuss the issues, people who notice something do sessions about the elephants in the room, like, what are we missing here? What about this topic? Have you thought about this one yet? You know, and then there's cheering as people realize, oh, my God, why didn't I think of that? And then that's a great session that everyone goes to, and it actually shifts and pivots both the results and the consciousness of those groups in small increments um, that are well understood, predictable, reliable, and they, they, they bracket the change in a way that makes it acceptable and tolerable uh, to the people who can't, who have a hard time with ambiguity, right? Most people have a hard time with ambiguity, and in particular, engineers have a hard time with ambiguity. I have a computer science degree. I programmed because I enjoyed the sense of control and progress that I experienced as a developer. Super creative stuff, and I controlled that world, maybe with some other people, but I was in charge of that space. And, you know, with code, you re it's either a one or a zero. There's no guessing. It's not like with people. Like, I, I'm going to have to guess if Ralph's sister yep. is married to Henrique's brother or if Ponch uh, golfs with Ralph's uh, in-law dad or, in a, it, you know what I mean? Like, there's all this messiness with people, but with code, it's not like that. You know, so this attracts people deterministic environment a versus completely undeterministic. Right. So engineers have a hard time with ambiguity. Agile transformation is by its very nature empirical. So we're giving them a 90-day time box so they can grab it in their minds and go, it starts here and it ends here. And then we have an inspection. And that yes. reduces the level of anxiety. It jacks up the comfort level. Uh, we ask people to suspend their disbelief and to just try this for 90 days. We're going to move in this direction and get direct experience. Then we're going to inspect that, right? So when they go to the first open space meeting, what they learn is mm -hmm. what open space is. And then when they're told that they're going to have another one of these meetings in 90 days, they're like, okay, okay, um, I'm going to play along. Because I know this is going to be an epic fail, and I can't wait for the next open space to say that. But then what happens is something completely different. And then people have their big aha. Yeah. And this is how we get it done. I, I, I have an, a question uh, that um, was, I, I was reading to your guide for um, invitation leadership. And um, mm -hmm. you make a remark there and you refer to, when it comes to invitations, um, uh, you refer to um, Jane Mag uh, McGonial in her book, uh, So Reality is, is Broken, and like which properties yes. should a proper game have. Um, and then essentially, you know, our lives are games and running an organization is a form of a game. So I, I quite liked it because it was, okay, you need to have a really clear goal, very clear rules that you follow a way to track progress and at least um, opt-in participations. Yeah, that's right. My experience, and I guess our experiences, our experiences as an organization when we work with clients is that when we go to them, 
very few clients have two, maybe if we are super lucky, three of these properties set up in place. So generally it's um, Thank you. a really clear goal for the whole of the organization. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nobody knows the rules. <laughs> uh, the tracking progress is either only budget and financial result and nothing else. And opt-in yeah. opt participation is completely, well, it's non-existent. Yeah. So or, or where do you start? Say, so that is it, normally the company's. No, go ahead, please finish. So this is what we, what we normally um, uh, face. And it's like, okay, let's go at the beginning and then like really having to work and set out the basics. Okay, without a clear goal, we cannot have any clear rules and without clear, clear rules, we cannot, we don't know what to track without the goal. Right. And then the opt-in participation. So how is your approach uh, when you face situ uh, situations like this? I'm, I'm quite curious. Yeah, so for your, for your listeners, um, let's establish a few premises, right? First premise is um, that all meetings are games. In other words, this meeting is a game because it's, it's a meeting, therefore it's a game. It has a goal, it has rules, it has ways to track progress, and it's opt-in. Um, open space is a meeting. Uh, therefore, open space is a game. Okay, and it's a game about authority and authorization, and it's a game about engagement and improvement, right? Um, the entire the entire business is also a, um, a game a game uh, structure. When you're hired, you're hired into a description of the, what the goal is, what the rules are, uh, how you're going to track your career progress, and then you're invited to take the job or leave it. Okay, so so if you're, you're lucky, when you're enough. Taking, yeah, when you take a job, they're inviting you to come, to play a game. And it's called whatever the role is, you know, if you're going to be the agile transformation lead, you know, there's the agile transformation lead game. And they describe it in terms of what are your goals? What are the rules of boundaries and constraints? How are you going to track your progress? How are you going to move up in the organization if you're successful? Um, and then, you know, it's opt in. So the entire social world um, is a nested game of games. So, for example, if you look at Scrum, the, the Scrum guide on the front page, it has a subtitle. Did any of you guys know what it says? It says the definitive rules of the game. No. Yeah, it does. Yeah, Not the game. I mean, I yep. can show it to you. We should, we should share that screen now because it's so important for your listeners. Now, you know, what, what's, what's interesting about this <coughs> is that these things we're talking about are, are – this is mostly new information for the Agile transformation crowd. Okay? Yep. That's actually a crime. We've been at this yep. for 20, 25 years, and we haven't advanced to the point where this is common knowledge. Do you understand what I mean? Okay, so um, yeah. here's the scrum. Yeah, we, we, here's the scrum. we stumbled ourselves on that as well. And we've been wondering for actually scratching our heads, like why are we finding about this only now after so right. so many years in the in the in the business? Why why all of a oh, sudden? Oh, there's now? a good reason. And we see it's gaining popularity. <laughs> okay, maybe you can share your thoughts on it. I'm all about progress. <clears throat> so anything that advances progress is good. Okay. Here's the here's the thing. Here's the actual screen. Just let the record show. There it is. Just in case anyone doubts it, what I said, the definitive guide to Scrum: colon the rules of the game. Scrum is a game, and it contains yep. games inside of it. So, for example, the daily Scrum is a meeting. That is a contained sub meeting inside the wider sprint yes it's a scrum is a game of games yep. and so is your job 
and so is so all of social reality. So here, let me let me give you another data point. Children immediately pick up on games from the time they're like three years old. They want to know, okay, how do I play? What are the rules? Where do I sit? What what do you do? What do I do? Okay, and then we do it again. So the peep, there's actually a book called Homo Ludens from a guy named Johan Huizinga, a Dutch guy, where he describes the playful yeah. nature of mankind and how we frame our reality not just as stories, but also as games. But as games. So the game metaphor is yeah, that's true because because uh, you. Go ahead. Yeah, we seem to be experiencing some lag, so uh, it's a little, yeah, it's I wanted a little. to interlude. So I think, yeah, I completely agree. The, the the play mechanism in mammals is super highly tuned in. So we, not just humans, go. but a lot of other mammals are encouraged by games. So it's, 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 it's super uh, important instinct that drives all of our interactions and decision making. Uh, and that's right. Uh, one thing that you also mentioned in your writings is that open spaces as a, as a, as a technology you mentioned earlier, it's uh, well, okay, it exists 20 years, but also in your writings, you say it's, it's as older as mankind. And I'm like, yeah, that's I, right. And I'm thinking maybe it's probably even older than mankind because similar behaviors you can observe in chimps, um, in wolves, a lot of pack animals who have to self-organize to achieve a certain mutual goal. And if we share, I don't know, 84% with wolves and 99% of our DNA with chimps, we're a lot more like this. So these mechanisms of know, self-organizing and open spaces and, and, and communal decision-making is hundreds of thousands, not millions of years old. And we're only now, now kind of observing the patterns and maybe to the granularity that we can actually put it into words and define it. Thank you. That's so true. Now, you mentioned wolves. Um, you know, we're not herd animals. You know, there's a book called Switch, and, the, the, you know, the last step in their, in their methodology, methodology <clears throat> is to uh, rally the herd. But people are not herd animals. We are mm -hmm. pack animals. Pack, pack animals. animals. This yes. is why dogs relate to us and why we relate to dogs, because we are pack animals, okay? So... Yeah. What what determines the social structure of a pack? Anyone want to tell me? Well, for dogs, it's the most like the strongest, the strongest alpha dog of the pack, right? Well, it's there's I'm not sure dog, it's the strongest. Here's how I think of it. Here's, here's how I think of it. There's a dog that has more authority than all the other dogs. Yeah. yeah exactly. Actually, there's two. There's a female alpha female as well. Okay, and these yes. dogs are yep. authorizing each other. Yeah. Why? Why? Because they want to eat. That's why. Because they want to survive. Wanna and they survive, figured right? out. Yep. They figured out yep. if I get in a pack, I get to eat. I don't have to be the number one dog to eat. This is a pretty important con uh, yep. point I'm making. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to circle back real quick to the to the game though, and then we can can, can keep with this analogy uh, sure. after that because yeah. uh, when you guys were discussing like the, the structure of the game and the games within the game, uh, because if I think about games, uh, I think about competition. Um, I I agree that you know playing is more important than winning, but like at the core level, everyone wants to win, and people are going to be breaking the rules in order to win. They're, they might cheat or they might do some stuff that was not agreed upon. People don't necessarily Sorry. want to win. What they want to do is they want to experience progress in their okay. lives. So if they're playing a game, they want to experience progress. Usually okay. when you're playing a game, if you're experiencing progress, you are winning. Okay. But I want to point something out. Yeah. Not all games are competitive. Okay. Some are cooperative. And not all games... That's actually true. Uh, not all games have fixed rules. Some games have variable rules. Yeah. So I want to show you something. Because this is very much 
This yep. is very much uh, about what life is about. Okay, here's here's a here's a game. I'm going to show you this page when it comes up. It's a game called Nomic. In Nomic, a move is a rule change. Yep. See that? Yeah, I'm not seeing the screen just yet. Uh oh, oh, you didn't see it. it. Okay, there it is. Take a moment, just soak yeah, that it's, up. It's, no, it's yeah, here it is. We see it now. Nomic. Yeah, maybe Rolf can read for the listeners. Yeah, so <clears throat> Nomic is a game created in 1982 uh, by Peter Suber. And let me just read the highlighted text here. Uh, Nomic is a game in which changing the rules is a move. In that respect, it differs from almost every other game. The primary activity of Nomic is proposing changes in the rules, debating the wisdom of changing them in that way, voting on the changes, deciding what can and cannot be done afterwards, and doing it. Even this core of the game, of course, can be changed. All right. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. I don't know this game. <laughs> I think like what, like you guys touched another subject, a part of this game, that I don't know if you guys read his book, but it's called Finite and Infinite Games with James Cars. And he kind of talks James about Cars, this yeah. idea yeah. that we play an infinite game, right? We play an infinite game, but companies, they try to play a finite game like there is the best in business. And I think I agree with Daniel in the sense that we want to make progress and that's what we play. But yeah. I guess a lot of people misinterpreted that concept and they did want to win. And that's why we see all these companies saying, I want to be the best in parking. I want to be the best in selling tickets. But in the end of the day, they just want to make progress towards something, but they maybe mixes those two things and they start playing a finite game where they should be playing the infinite game and changing the rules all the time. Well, the finite the finite game has a beginning, yep. a middle, and an end. And the infinite game is played uh, with an indefinite end. Right? Um, most people cannot handle uh ambiguity so they want a beginning a middle and an end so they can tell a story so there's a, a relationship between games and stories right so this is a finite game it begins in open yep. space it ends in open space and then we go again scrum itself is also a finite game it uses iteration in the same way okay yep. um but good games we know from jane mcgonagall's work they have opt-in participation crappy games don't good games have opt-in participation so yeah around the world we're implementing crappy games in agile transformation because there's no sense yeah. of agency it's all rollout well, top-down mandate that's not going to work that doesn't work yeah well, i mean I, I suppose simultaneously we are playing in parallel who knows how many games and some of them are finite and some of them are infinite and some right. of them have voluntarily opt in and some not like you, you but those but according of, well, to Jane to be part of a society where you're born right well yeah but the, the point i'm making is that it, first of all jane mcgonagall did the world a great service by defining what a game is in her book reality is broken on page 22. okay she did everyone a great yeah. service and if you want to see why, just go look up the definition of game and look up the definition of play, and you're going to see how ambiguous these definitions are. Nobody really knows what, what a game is. But Jane nailed it in her book. True. And she did us all a favor by making telling us a game has four properties, okay? A clear goal, clear rules, a way to track progress, yeah. opt-in participation, okay? So yeah. now that we have that, there's also the idea of play uh, with the opt-in participation. If you can't opt out, it's not an invitation. Yeah. If you can't opt out, it's not a good game. And then That's what play. Jane McGonagall says. Yeah. So what we really want yeah. is for executives to understand these things and then engage in game design 
or what I call, like around the world, we have this thing called design thinking, right? But mm -hmm. there's a subset, huh? game design thinking. Game design. That's a function of leadership to engage in good game design. That's what this is. It's a decent game design. It has a clear goal, knowledge and understanding, progress as we move forward together. It has clear rules. We start on this day. We end on this day. There's a set of constraints. We use the Agile Manifesto. Yep. And there's other rules. And then there's ways to track progress through time, through task, through uh, a discovery. Um, and then also when we get to the second open space, that's a way of tracking through time, right? Um, and, of course, opt-in participation. It has to be okay for people to not uh, participate immediately. If they think they can spend their time more profitably for the company somewhere else, they should go do that. And we should work with willing teams because did you, willing did you ever teams have the, power the, the, the... all of the improvement. <clears throat> unwilling teams, unwilling yes. people. But did you ever have the problem where teams. no team was willing? No, because we're going to ask them to suspend their disbelief for 90 days, even if they're unwilling. Just pretend right. for 90 days. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. pretend for 90 days. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so um, in in a bit of a, this, so you you have quite a lot of experience in implementing um, open spaces and open spaces agility and the, using the open space technology. Uh, have yep. you noticed um, differences in between groups in their openness towards adoption of um, open spaces transformation? And what could of be course. the, if if any differences? What are the what are the things? What are the key differentiation um, between the groups? Maybe the willingness of the leader. That's it. Straight up. If the, will, if the leader's willing, then we can create the conditions to show what real self-management looks like and how good and how great it can be. It's, we can just observe the open space to see that, okay? But until and unless you're willing to do that, you'll never really understand it um, because this is not learned through lecture. It's learned through direct experience, right? So this is why I advocate for work, um, bring open space to five or six related teams and don't ask permission. Just go and do it. Because you already have that authority as the coach, as the in-house coach, as the Agile Transformation Lead. You don't have to ask permission. You're going to do a retrospective every two weeks or every iteration, right, with the teams. You're going to do a, a, re a retrospective. Mm -hmm. So you call it a retrospective yeah. process. We're going to add this to our retrospectives. Every 90 days, all the teams are going to do their retros, and then they're going to go into one big room, and they're going to share what they learned in the past, you know, three months and the past two weeks. And you use OSA, but you don't call it that. You yeah. call it an enhanced retrospective process or a periodic whole group retrospective. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Let's reflect. Yeah. And, uh, all hands sure. retro. Yeah. yeah all hands uh, retro. And, and, uh, I was wondering, right, with the, the, the second open space after 90 days, um, you yep. reflect back and then you, know, you have some learnings. Um, and yep. how would you track the progress? Uh, the, the, I think the open space agility talks about uh, KPIs. Like what would be an example of a, of a few KPIs to track? First of all, um, a 90-day window is a perfect window for OKRs and KPIs. Uh, KPIs, I really like what the Scrum at Scale guide has to say about KPIs. It mentions four dimensions of measurement, mm -hmm. which includes value delivery, sustainability, quality, uh, and process efficiency. Okay, and it basically says at a minimum you need to be tracking metrics in these four categories. Um, and it doesn't say what, what, what KPIs to use. It just says you need to track in these four dimensions at a minimum. Mm -hmm. 
I really like that approach a lot because most companies have their own KPIs that they're using and so forth and so on. So um, in terms of tracking progress yeah. in open space agility, we also produce proceedings. So proceedings come out of the open space. And then we use those to build a plan to go forward in the next 90 days. And the way we track our progress is by looking back on what we were going to measure and manage over the next 90 days and see how we did using the proceedings as the source document um, to determine, you know, how successful we were or not. Yeah. So I'm a big believer in, in measurement. Right. What, what's measured gets managed and what's managed improves. So we need to, you know, there's a whole domain of measurement that we could go off and talk about. Uh, measurement can be gamed, right? People will game it. Um, yes. You know, I had a small yep. company, about 50 people in the 90s, and I put out an employee manual. I copied Microsoft's employee manual. A friend of mine who worked at Microsoft gave me the manual. And I used that document, and I made some small edits to it, and that was our employee, employee, employee handbook. And it only took one year for the employees to find every single flaw, every single little chink, every single little opening <laughs> in that rule set. Right? So rules can be games. You have to be careful. Yeah. This is yeah, why I say game design thinking. Okay. The design is very important. But it, it makes yeah. sense for rules to be, to be broken. Like rules um, are a very deterministic view on the world and they need to operate in a very complex environment. So, they will get outdated really, really, really fast. Right. So it does make sense that they right. get played out and rigged. Yeah, let's go back to Gnomic for a minute, shall we? Gnomic is describing yep. the Agile yep. retrospective. In Gnomic, a move is a rule change. Yeah. Yes. Right? What went well, what didn't go well? And then the third one, what do we want to change? That's... That's a mutable game, like Nomic. So I agree completely with you, Punch. Is that how I say your name, Punch? Yeah? Yeah. yeah. All right. That's how I say it? Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rules are not necessarily made to be broken. They're made to be amended. Yes, correct. And another question that I have, because we spoke briefly about um, self-organizing, um, that being like a default, it's a, we saw that it's a very um, old ancient mechanism, sort of say. Where do, where do we go wrong with it? <laughs> what is it that we do wrong? Uh, look, all of us have a very strong need for perceived sense of control. All of us. Why? Because a sense of control is associated with uh, um, ego strength. And ego strength is associated with yep. health and well-being. Okay, so we talk about people being on an ego trip or people being a control freak, you know, yeah. all this kind of stuff. But actually, we all have a very strong need for a perceived sense of control. So what happens is, I'm going to be a little flippant here now when I say this. Even though we don't want to know what's going on, we make shit up about what's going on. Yes, and we, to this explain is called management. the unknown, of yeah. course. Yeah, this is called management, okay? So when, yeah. so people know how to self-manage. I'm going to say something really, really radical now, and here's what it is. Dysfunction is actually an attempt to cope with bad game dynamics, crappy game structure. Dysfunction is a positive response to something bad. We're trying to cope. Yeah. It looks like dysfunction. It's actually a coping behavior. 
<clears throat> this is why I say we got to keep the fun in dysfunction. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so when, when, when do companies call, for example, you, or when, when is it time for companies to try to adopt open space? Do they usually call you when they're in deep trouble or do they usually call you when it's like, hey, we want to have, you know, more success or we want to be more agile? Is open space the first thing they, they look at nowadays or is it still you come, you come in when the fires are, are the biggest? You come in when the fires are the biggest. Yeah, because companies have tried the assess, train, coach thing, and they're getting a huge financial haircut, and yeah. they have nothing to show yeah. for it. In fact, sometimes they're worse off afterwards than before. Yeah. So look, yeah. we're trying to get to here. Great results, right? That yeah. comes from people being engaged in the process, okay? And people engage when they make decisions. Yep. So the key is authorized decision-making because decisions are very engaging, okay? And engagement is how yes. you get great results. Yes. So the best way that I know yeah. to teach this is through direct experience by issuing an invitation because an invitation prompts a decision. And that's engaging and that's going to lead to great results. Yeah. That's what this is all about okay like there's nothing secret about osa yeah. about what it does it's built on open space and open space is not the secret sauce either osa is not the secret sauce o open space technology is not the secret sauce inviting is the secret sauce okay Specifically, this yes. kind of le leadership, yeah. inviting leadership, is going to trigger massive amounts of engagement if you give people enough space to make a few decisions that affect their work. Okay? Now, I want to yeah. talk a little bit about um, HR and recruitment and keeping the top talent in your company. <laughs> right now, in the age of COVID. Okay. Progressive companies are, are gunning for, competing for, inviting your top talent to leave your company and go work for them. Why? Because companies are now recruiting yeah. all over the world, not just in their location. So the top talent now, we can, we can right. build a company of top talent because we have a very, very wide net that we're a very wide recruiting domain and your top people are getting recruited by by progressive companies who have this stuff figured out okay and they're going to destroy yes. your company yes. with this okay because this triggers massive hmm. amounts of engagement and engagement is the name of the game this is what we've done in the agile world take a look at this take a moment just to, just to read this and look, here, I'll put it this way so you can read what those things say. This is a timeline, and it shows, like, you know, how we started with the manifesto yeah. up here and how we've got this pure imposition yeah. thing going on in the current day. This is a reality of the Agile, yeah. the agile space, okay? Where do we go from here? So the most progressive companies – are attracting your top talent, and that is a three, uh, a three, a three-dimension loss. You lose great talent. That talent goes to the competitor in the same industry usually. Yeah, that's a double-barreled bad negative. Yeah. And the third thing is you lose a champion who could promote the change. So companies that don't get this, well, it's also companies that... who haven't figured this out. They're gonna. They get to lose. Yeah. Well, I mean, this, this, this. You perfectly describe one of the things that we speak uh, with our customers, we, which we've call, coined. Well, we call it the war on talent, because now the the trend is that if you want to grow, you need to hire. Um, but often, what it what what we see is that. Um, companies are not re really fully utilizing the talents they have on board. Uh, 
through maybe invitation, um, decision-making, engagement, and then converting that into results. Um, so as part of our work, as part of our proposition as a company is basically don't, don't fight the war on talent necessarily to grow. Grow with the resources that you have. Transform the way you work. And then you can then then you can you can grow out of it, because the war on talent is it's just driven by the big big names, and you can f try to fight it as much as possible, and it's it's really really difficult to be active in it. People work at home now; they've experienced greater uh, levels of autonomy than ever before in their work lives, and they're not going back to the old way. Why? Because people have a strong no. need for control. No. That's why. Yeah. Well, is so it, this is what's going is on. The need so, of control of a need, need for predictability. <clears throat> well, predictability and reliability, those are factors into trust. Everyone wants a predictable, reliable game. We all, I want to know how I play. It's part of the sense of control thing. Exactly. Um, if it's predictable, then I have a sense of control. If it's unpredictable, I don't. Now we know why most agile adoptions fail, yeah. right? We don't know what's going to happen. Nobody likes that. That's why they're attracted yeah. to uh, big, complex frameworks that have a coherent story, like frameworks that will not be named. <clears throat> <laughs> we just had an episode last week about one of them. Yeah. But yeah. everyone is a sucker for a coherent story, even if the story is not true. No, of course. I mean, there, there was one of the things that I read um, uh, in, your, in one of your writings, um, and you are uh, citing, um, I believe it's uh, Stephen uh, Kaufman, uh, the, um, that Kaufman order from, is uh, for Santa Fe Institute. Yeah, from the Santa Fe Institute of Biology. Yeah, Stuart Kaufman. Sorry if I, I said Stephen. Uh, so order is for free, and sort of that order is the way I interpreted that is order is by default, and it's super counterintuitive as how I would see it. Because if I look at the in individual operating in in the world, uh, so it's a it's a it's a small person operating in super complex world, completely unpredictable, then for me, it's. I find that the chaos is the default, and the the individual is the hero that makes the order out of of the chaos, and that's why we need also that sense of control because everything is constantly moving, and we need to be to have something to rely on, so we can well, well progress, as you say, and develop further on. So how is then the yeah. the order for free? How is the order by default? The order by default comes from the fact that there's no order without chaos, and there's no chaos without order. They're both flip sides of the same exact coin. Both of them are absent of any impurities. When you're in pure chaos, there's no order. And when you're in pure order, there's no chaos. Okay? So these are two pure states. They're yes. actually just two sides of the same coin. But in the middle, there's the tension between order and chaos. If it's not pure chaos and not pure order, there's always this Yes, there's a progress. Yeah. So yes. this is a very important thing to realize also. Hold on for just a second. Uh, yeah. I've got some food here, but I can't really yeah. eat it if I'm being recorded, you know what I mean? Because um, that would just, that wouldn't go very well. <laughs> you know. No, but that, that's the essence is you, is you need to be completely in between, as um, I would say, Jordan Peterson puts it, like with one foot in order and not one foot in chaos. That's where the fun takes place, essentially. Yeah, you guys need to really um, need to study Harrison Owen. So Harrison Owen has a TEDx talk. Your, your audience should definitely go listen yeah. to that talk. I'm happy to put the link in the chat or you can put it in. If you go okay. TEDx Harrison Owen, you'll find the video. And he talks about this stuff. Um, also, okay. Stuart Kaufman talks about this order yes. for free, like you're talking about. Let's let's discuss that for a minute. Um, this boils. This comes right down to like the, the order, the the nature of reality. Um, 
the Harrison says that all systems are open. So there's no such thing as a closed system. Everything is influencing everything else, whether you like it or not. Okay. So even if you don't think it's true, if it's true, it doesn't matter what yep. you think. We agree. Okay. So he says all systems are open. He also says that all systems are self-organizing. <clears throat> that the, 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 the entire scope of objective reality, this thing we're in, uh, is a self-organizing, self-replicating, self-managing universe. And that there's nothing to, special to know about it because you already do it. It's actually below the level of consciousness. We're all um, adjusting to each other right, right here, right Correct. now. Yeah. So yeah. this idea yes. of self-organization being inherent in the in the, the 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 reality of everything means that it's part of the deep code of the universe. That there's something in the yes. universe that is self-managing, self-organizing. And it has something to do with the spark of life, right? Like I live here, I have, I'm in front of a big window. Yep. A lot of animals are in my backyard. And we have a relationship. I see them, they see me. Sometimes there's a squirrel that comes right up to my window. And, and we, we play this little game, you know. Uh, it's a self-organizing yep. world. Self-managing world. We also uh, feed right. hummingbirds. We feed hummingbirds, and they actually play with me now because they know that I'm not a threat to them. And they're very playful creatures. And they yep. just, they'll come within inches of my face yep. like this, and then they'll take off. And they're, they're just playing with me. And that's, that's, that's self-organization. So right there. we are playing all these. Yep. We're playing these primal, primordial, com, super complex game that we're all parts of we are just merely now sort of discovering and coding the rules of it and or well, speaking them out to some extent as much wow, as we decoding can decoding the rules i guess decoding it. yeah thank you yeah so what yeah. we're doing with open space agility is we're creating a structure that's finite that has a beginning a middle and an end that people can grab onto that and they can tell a story about yep. how they know what's going on yeah. If you look at the, yeah. the framework, the very large framework that will not be named, it gives a very reassuring yeah. bedtime story. It's, it's actually a fable, yeah. and uh, it's, a, it's a... It's a... It's a... It's a story, yeah, but it's not, the, it's not the reality of things. It's just a comforting story. Yeah. You know, yeah. and they can grab onto yeah. that, and they're like, "All right, I still make decisions tomorrow if we use this framework." This is it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't so, really have to think actually, for yourself then either, I guess, right? Because the framework will just tell you what to do. <laughs> yeah, but that's very comforting, isn't it? You know the right answer. Think about it. Yeah. All these engineers—we yeah, yeah, yeah. talked about engineers having a very strong need for giving the right answer. The big framework that uh, will yeah. not be named give, gives a very comforting set of answers that, you know, people buy that. Yeah. So this is what we have going on. Right. So in the real um, world... Yeah, so I think... Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. So in the real world... Uh, how yeah, do we I was, was going to say, like... Um, yeah. There's a lag. How do we apply these concepts? Yes. Yeah, we have some lag here. Rolf, right, Rolf, go ahead. <laughs> All right, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, so I was I was gonna say like maybe we should uh, maybe we should start uh, wrapping it up a little bit. Uh, we've been uh, talking for quite some time and diverging into nice uh, nice topics about uh, packs of wolves and, and the, the gamification of of, uh, of society and uh, primordial. Uh, rules and, and codes and everything uh, 
So I don't know if you guys have some 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 final questions for Daniel, or Daniel maybe have some some final questions for us. Yeah, I'd like well, to give I your listeners have to say uh, that the lag very... is killing us right now. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, maybe uh, given the lag and uh, we've we've talked about a lot of stuff, so maybe we should just uh, wrap uh, wrap this uh, this podcast episode here up and uh, and see how the end result uh, comes out. Um, yeah, so if, if if the listener wants to know more about Open Space Agility, we'll uh, we'll definitely drop some links uh, in the description below uh, here on YouTube and of course uh, on on Anchor as well. Um, and I can imagine you have some questions about uh, open space agility and how it might work for you or your company. Um, you know, feel free to uh, to contact uh, well Daniel, I guess, or or contact us, and and uh, maybe we can relay it back to Daniel. Um, yeah. So if you have any uh, suggestions uh, for us, you can email them to info at uh, forscouts.nl uh, podcast at forscouts.nl. I'm sorry, and uh, you can mm-hmm. reach us on Twitter at uh, Forscouts, and uh, I think Daniel, you have a Twitter handle as well, right? Uh, at Daniel Mezik, or is it a different one? That's right. It's uh, Daniel uh, Mezik, D A N I E L M E Z I C K. Daniel Mezik, first name, last name, like it shows up on the screen here. And then I'll send you a set of links uh, to more resources right. for your audience. And also, I want to offer your audience a discount on the classes that I teach. Um, so I'll send a discount code and a link for this. And if you would uh, press it uh, forward to distribute to your audience, that'll be great. All right. We'll definitely do that. Awesome. Very generous. Yeah. And I hope we can have this conversation again in a different time with less lagging because I think the lagging really damaged the interaction. But uh, thanks a lot for accepting the invitation. And it, uh, yeah, I learned it a lot again, even though I couldn't speak a lot. But I guess that's when you learn. Thanks a lot for joining us. Yeah. And I have on my side bunch of bunch of questions, um, so uh, hope we can continue this. And uh, most definitely, see see you in one of your classes uh, very soon. Very nice. Right. Thank you. Well, thanks a lot. All right. Bye bye.